There's a generally held belief the original is the best. Uh, the 1980s MacGyver is much, much better than the 2016 reboot. Uh, the original Coca-Cola is better than Coke Zero or Vanilla Coke. Uh, the original is the best. Or at least that's our common wisdom, though maybe it's often more about nostalgia than truth. Uh, this morning we're going back to the original. Uh, the first spirit-filled Jesus-following community. Uh, The word isn't used, but you might call it the first church, the first Christian church, uh, the original. Now, there's a risk in looking back at something, the risk of nostalgia, idolising the good old days. Uh, There are plenty of movements of Christians, plenty of Christians who just want to get back to the New Testament church, and, and there is something right about that impulse, as we'll see today. Though it does smack a little bit of nostalgia. Because we're going to see in a couple of weeks that this original Christian community is just as impacted by sin as churches are today. That's the problem of the good old days, isn't it? Sin didn't start in the 1990s. But at the same time, we do see in Acts chapter 2, chapter (laughs) 2, the original the shape of the first community of Jesus' followers, which gives us a pattern, a model. Last week we heard about the explosive growth of believers. At the start of Acts chapter 2, there are about 120 followers of Jesus, but the Spirit is poured out and the disciples start speaking the amazing truth of Jesus and they do it in languages they've never spoken before. And then Peter gets up, he proclaims it's the last days. The Spirit has come because the one they crucified is risen and reigning. Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. And we read in verse 41 that 3,000 people believe and are saved. In one day, the community of Spirit-filled Jesus followers grows from 120 to about 3,000. And at least for a time, it seems most, if not all, of these 3,000 people remain in Jerusalem. They don't return home to Rome or Egypt, but stay in Jerusalem and create a community centred on Jesus. Uh, This is how it's summarised in verse 42, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, There are four activities, four main activities of this community. Uh, The teaching of the apostles, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer. Uh, The new community of 3,000 disciples are devoted to these things. Now, teaching and prayer are pretty self-explanatory. We read back in chapter 1, Jesus spent the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension, he spent 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God. And the apostles are doing the same thing. That's what we saw last week, Peter's message at Pentecost. He showed from the scriptures that Jesus is the risen and reigning Messiah. 
That's the apostles' teaching. That's what they were doing. The early Christian community was devoted to hearing so much more about Jesus. Uh, Prayer, well, that's talking to God, telling him our cares and concerns, praising him. The middle two are a bit trickier. What are they talking about? Uh, Often the word fellowship makes us think about stale sandwiches and lukewarm cups of tea. Uh, But this is not what the word means. Uh, We're going to see this in verses 44 and 45. What the Bible means by fellowship is radical generosity. In verse 44, when it says they had everything in common, it's the same word in the original language. Uh, Fellowship means they didn't consider their possessions to belong to themselves. They gave it away. They gave their money away. They sold possessions and houses in order to provide for others. That is fellowship. Uh, And the breaking of bread, some people think this is a reference to sharing the Lord's Supper as we're going to do later this morning. It could mean that. I'm not convinced. If it is the Lord's Supper, why doesn't it mention the cup? Uh, Breaking bread is just another way of saying eating together because bread was central to every meal. It's a bit like saying morning tea. Morning tea actually isn't literally just drinking a cup of tea in the morning. You normally have food as well, but we call the meal, we call the snack tea because that is the the staple part of the meal. So there are four activities, four values, four that are central to this earliest Christian community. The teaching of the apostles, fellowship, so radical generosity, breaking bread, generous hospitality, and prayer. Now as we read Acts, a key question we have to keep asking is, what is descriptive and what is prescriptive? What I mean is, Acts is a book of history. It describes things that occurred. And so lots of things in Acts are just that. They are history. But Acts is also God's word to us. So the question we have to keep asking is, is this recorded to describe what occurred? Or is it also written to prescribe, to tell us what we should expect and how we should live? And the best way to answer the question is to allow scripture to interpret scripture. Is there somewhere else in the Bible where something is commanded? Is this pattern continued? So as we look at how this earliest community lived, that's what we're going to do. We're not only going to describe what was, but consider whether our church or how our church, how this community of believers should follow that pattern. And also... It's not just about stuff to do. One of the things that strikes us as we read the next few verses is the heart, the changed hearts, the loves, the desires of God's people. And so we're going to be considering how we should be gripped by the same desires and loves. And so with the apostles' teaching, we are to be devoted to knowing God through the apostles' teaching. So is this just just descriptive or is it prescriptive? Well, Timothy, Timothy, an early church leader, Timothy is told, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 
Timothy's job was to pass on the message of Jesus, the apostles' teaching about Jesus to people who will keep passing it on. It's a prescriptive thing. We are to be devoted to the apostles' teaching and that's why our church gathering is focused on the Bible. It's why we preach through books of the Bible. So the apostles' teaching sets the agenda. But it's interesting in verse 43... In verse 43, Luke doesn't expand on the apostles' teaching. He doesn't tell us what they said. Instead, he talks about how the earliest believers responded to that teaching. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe. Uh, Now, this translation makes it sound like the awe came because of the miraculous signs and wonders. I think the ESV translates better. It says, And awe came upon every soul, every person, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The awe came because of everything that had happened. The amazing new understanding they were receiving about Jesus. Before that day of Pentecost, about 2,900 of the 3,000 people had assumed Jesus was a fake Messiah, that he'd been shamefully crucified, and that was the end. But now they've come to see the truth. Jesus is risen and reigning. He's poured out his spirit. The last days of the prophets of old spoke. They They are here. We're in the last days. All of this fills them with awe at what God is doing. They were blown away. They were thrilled that they were getting to see the last days. They were getting to see what God had promised come to fulfillment. Now all those things that were true for them are true for us. Jesus is alive. Believers receive the Holy Spirit. Would you say we are people filled with awe? Are you excited about what God has done in Jesus? Because if we talk about the Bible, but it doesn't grip our hearts, we're wasting our time. Now, I want to talk briefly about the wonders and signs. Uh, In January, a travelling signs and wonders ministry came to Gympie, claiming if you went to their event, healings would happen. You would not be sick anymore. Healings would happen in the name of Jesus. Uh, Based on verse 43, uh, is this something Christians should expect? Should we expect wonders and signs? Well, this is where the descriptive, prescriptive question comes into play. No doubt that is what is happening. Luke is a good historian. The question is, should it be happening now? Well, unlike being devoted to the apostles' teaching, which the New Testament commands us to pass on, we just saw that in 2 Timothy, I can't think of any command in the New Testament that says Christians must perform signs and wonders in our communities. And I think that's hinted at in verse 43. Luke doesn't record everyone performed these signs. It was only the apostles. In fact, in the record of Acts, it's almost exclusively the apostles who are linked to miracles. 
Of course, God may and does do all sorts of amazing things, incredible things. He does them for his glory, but there's no command or instruction that says this is prescriptive. But we are told to be devoted to the teaching of the apostles, not just in order to get information, but to have our hearts gripped by God, that he would be our vision supreme in our heart, awed by who he is and what he's done. And that's what shaped and formed the earliest believers. They were also a community known for their deep love. Uh, This is shown in what verse 42 called fellowship and the breaking of bread. Extreme generosity and radical hospitality. Uh, Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I think of all the things we hear about the earliest believers, I think this is what we find hardest to believe. All kinds of miracles might have happened, but this? You've got to be kidding. We read this and these people, they must be crazy. How irresponsible. How stupid were they? Sell everything and give it to the poor. What about planning for the future? What about saving for retirement? And so we think maybe they were crazy. Maybe they were mistaken. Maybe they thought Jesus would return in a couple of weeks. Well, if Jesus is only going to return in a couple of weeks, then the food in my pantry will be enough. I can sell everything else. In fact, I can halve what's in my pantry. I don't need to save for the future. But there's nothing in the book of Acts to suggest they were mistaken in giving everything away. And it wasn't just their possessions. It was their time as well. Every day, every day meeting together, sharing meals, feasting and enjoying God's goodness together. And why do they do this? It can only be because of their love for God and for each other. They see this Christian community as their primary family. That's why they're willing to be radically generous and hospitable. Now when we get to Acts chapter 5, it seems this extreme generosity, fellowship, It seems to be spontaneous uh, and a free response to Jesus. It wasn't something everyone had to do. But it's a common enough practice that verse 44 says, verse 44 says, all the believers, everything in common, anyone who had need. Now remember the descriptive, prescriptive question. Uh, is generosity and hospitality just something they did? That's nice to think, oh, wasn't that nice for them, but we can just keep all our stuff to ourselves. Or is it something we should do too? Uh, in Galatians we're told, therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And, and from the context of Galatians 6, doing good includes final, financial generosity. 
We're also commanded to hospitality, sharing homes and meals. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, this is how we worship God. If you want to worship God, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, There may be parts of what this original community did that are merely descriptive. And of course, there's a cultural context and expression that, that will fit what they, uh, their culture works with. But generosity towards those in need, sharing meals with each other, the heart of love that works itself out in very practical ways, uh, this is prescriptive. We're commanded to do it by Jesus. How does hearing this make you feel? What's going on in your gut right now? There's no way I could sell sell my car and give it away. I will not halve my bank balance and give it away. I don't have time or energy to have people in my house. We find the life of the earliest believers hard to believe. I think it's because we are more discipled by our culture than by the Spirit. Our culture teaches us individualism and capitalism. What's mine is mine. I've worked hard for this, so I can enjoy it. That's how we think about our money, our dining rooms and spare bedrooms. In our Christian culture, our focus on the family, as understandable as it may be, it can cause us to idolise the nuclear family at the expense of what the Bible says, what the Bible says about our real family, the people of God. God commands generosity and hospitality. And the earliest spirit-filled community lived it out. I wonder whether where we've got to start is, well, we've got to start, don't we? It's all well and good. I think we can excuse ourselves and say, look, if there happened to be someone in our church who was on the poverty line, well, then I'd help them out. But I know my heart. If I just say stuff like that, it's never going to happen, is it? No one will actually ever get desperate enough to need my help. I won't see the need around me. And if we've got a culture of that, no one's going to show their need because we're individual capitalists. There's shame in poverty. So how do we take steps in the right direction? Or maybe this is something we need to organise more as a church. Uh, In our church budget, we don't have a helping those in need line. Maybe we should. One thing you could do, we don't need it in a budget, we don't need systems like that, but you could give money to church for this reason. Uh, Write it on an envelope, or if you're using the internet banking, which I think is a great way of giving money to church, write it in the description, this money is to help those who have need, and then our elders and committee of management could use that money for that purpose and not for anything else. If you earmark it for that money, that for that purpose, that's what it gets used for. Another way we could just get started is there are organisations that get financial aid to believers in need in other countries. Maybe you could give to one of them. 
Though why do we do it? Why do we need to start doing something? Because it's actually not about money or possessions, is it? It's about the heart. As Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Generosity, giving our treasures to the things of God, trains our heart to love God and love his people. It's the same with hospitality, breaking bread together. This trains our hearts to love God and love one another. That's why we have morning tea on Sunday and church lunches. We do this because of Acts 2, eating together to express and grow our love. Though morning tea and the occasional church lunch is hardly day by day, continually in the temple and in their homes. So here's a small step to consider. Maybe once a week have someone at your table or eat at someone else's table. Just one meal a week. I'm not talking a dinner party. Hospitality is not my kitchen rules. Make it easy. A potluck, get everyone to bring something to share. The point is not the quality of the bread, but the time spent together as brothers and sisters in Christ, feasting and enjoying one another in Christ. Uh, Because that's what's shown in the first community of believers. Have a look at verse 46 again. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, and enjoying the favour of all the people. Uh, Praising God is expanding on what verse 42 calls the prayers. When they get together, they feast and celebrate what God has done. They talk to each other about what God has done. They praise God as they pray to him together. Is this how you describe us? Uh, Do we have glad and sincere hearts? Are we people of prayer and praise? Now I know our voices are somewhat muffled by the need to wear masks, but Luke doesn't say anything about the quality of their voices or the loudness of their amen. He tells us about their heart. Once again, our culture disciples us in grumbling and complaining. When someone asks, how are you? Our answer is, I'm not bad. Even just that. That pattern of our culture sets us up to complain, isn't it? To talk about everything that's not as good as it should be. But we have lots to be glad of in Jesus. Yes, there is room for genuine complaint. The Bible doesn't tell us to lie about suffering or hardship. But gladness, not grumbling, should characterise us. Oh, We need to encourage each other, don't we? When you're in a conversation and grumbling starts to sprout, we need to nip it in the bud. Not genuine lament, but grumbling. I think we know the difference, don't we? And we also do this by being devoted, being known by our prayer and praise. I don't know whether you'd call us a praying church. Yes, we pray when we gather on Sundays, we pray in our Bible studies, but would you say we are devoted to prayer? And when we pray, we're we're good at asking God for things, but what about praising him? It's interesting, isn't it? That's what the original community of believers was known for. In the headline, it's praying. When Luke expands on it, it's praise. 
Uh, there are a few people at the moment chatting about starting uh, some kind of regular prayer meeting for our church. Some details need to be worked out. In fact, I think we'll try and talk about this over lunch today. I think it'd be good for us to have something like that. It would be a way of us putting this pattern into practice. All right, so that's the the four things that characterise the original spirit-filled followers of Jesus. They were awed. They were awed by what they heard of Jesus. Uh, They showed love through extravagant sharing and hospitality. And they had glad hearts and joyful praise. And overall, I, I think these things are prescriptive. This is what should characterise any Christian community because we see the same things described and and commanded and the pattern continue later in the New Testament. And, brothers and sisters, to a greater or lesser degree, we do see these things among us. Sure, there is room to grow and we do need to pray for God to be growing these things in us, but we also need to be starting somewhere, don't we, and seeing this pattern begin. We need to be praying that God grows this in us just as he is growing his kingdom by saving people. As verse 47 finishes, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now we're not told exactly how this early community evangelized, but there must have been something about their life together that was attractive. And they must have been speaking to people about Jesus. We are given a bit of a hint about the the kind of evangelism that they were doing in verse 46 and 47. Uh, The community would often gather in the temple, possibly taking part in prayers and praise there. Either way, it's a public venue, isn't it? And since it was a large space, maybe it was in the temple that the apostles would teach the 3,000 people as they were gathered. In verse 47 it says, They had the favour of all people. They were known for their awe and fear of God. They were known for their genuine love that no one was needy. They were known for their joy and gladness. And on top of this, they were devoted to prayer, which surely includes praying for God to save more people. Because it's clear that God was adding people. And God is the Saviour. And so we should expectantly be asking God to do the same today. Because God's salvation is based on the unchanging truth. Jesus is risen and reigns at the Father's right hand. He has poured out his spirit. We live in the day of salvation. So let's do that. Let's pray God would be doing this, growing us in awe, love and gladness and that he'd be saving many people in our region.